So this is the second part in uh, this talk on kingdom community. Alice began it last week. We formed, filmed it all in one go and thought, actually, there's so much stuff in here. Let's it's be, it'll be better as two talks. So uh, if you haven't heard the first one, then um, go back and listen to the talk from last week, part one on kingdom community. And, uh, and if you've listened to that, then recommend you get straight into this one just here. And Lord, we pray you continue to speak to us as we uh, dig into this teaching. And um, we want to be shaped as a community uh, according to your design. And we know that as we live life your way, that's how uh, we grow. And the whole world is blessed by um, by us living according to God's design. So we, we, we want your leading, we want your teaching. Yeah, amen. So particularly I'm going to focus now on fours. Given the, the, given the big picture of community that I'm talking about, it's going to be very personal, but it's also going to be big and messy as well. What we're doing when we're meeting in fours, and what I mean by fours is any amount of people that are in a small enough community for you to share deeply with. It could be up to six, it could be you have two of them, like it could be a couple of marriages. It's, it's, there's no clear cut, but it's that depth of intimacy that you can get with only a few people. I think a sociologist or a psychologist said something like, we are basically influenced, we are shaped by the five or six people we spend the most time with. It's that kind of thing. People we can really share our heart, our motivation, our desires in a way that that there is time for. So why we call them fours because Jesus had his three friends and that was four, but it can be it can be anything from two and six and it could be a couple of different groups and it, it changes in seasons and so on. But why fours at hope? Essentially, and if you take away nothing from this talk, it's for one thing, to encourage one another to fulfill our original design. By that I mean calling, for those of you who aren't familiar with the terms original design, destiny, purpose, the good works of faith that God has created for us to do. At Hope, if you're new to Hope or you you want to connect in, we have a, a time of prayer where people who don't know you can be listening to God for how he's made you. I have two books of, of words that I feel God's spoken to me personally and through a prophetic community now, two full A4 books covering the last 20, 30 years. These are words that God has said specifically about me, about me, about maybe our family, about maybe hope, and, and that I live by that help form and shape who I think I am and who I, what my contribution is to be. And it's really important in our fours that we have some kind of knowledge or awareness of one another's original design, sense of purpose, sense of calling. Some of you, you will know God's been speaking to you all your life. You've written it down, you've treasured it. Other people are just coming to the reality that God exists and that he's made you and formed you. And you're, you're wanting to receive more from him. That doesn't matter. What matters is that it's a culture of connecting everyone with their calling. That's what you're doing when you meet as a four. You come with the intention I'm going to be more connected with my calling and I'm going to facilitate a safe place that the people I meet with can too. So a little word then on what it isn't. It isn't a place we go to confess sin. What happens is when we connect with our calling, our original design, if we're married to have happy and healthy marriages, as far as it depends on us, because we cannot ever make anyone else do anything, to have that open relationship with our children, as far as it depends on us, if we have them, to have functioning, brilliant, prolific work patterns, again, as far as it depends on us. 
what happens when we start to push into who we're created to be, which is actually a lot of it is obvious in the Bible, with the prophetic words on top that God's been speaking to us, sin comes to the surface. Oh, I've got a massive pattern of passivity in that particular area of my life. Oh, wow, I'm really in self-pity now. I don't, I'm in hopelessness. I don't believe that's possible. Wow, I feel a real victim. Like, And that is where what happens in the forging of we are going for our original design, we're going for our purpose and calling here, is suddenly the things that fall short, that's all sin is, it's falling short of who we are, bubble to the surface. And that's where the confession of sin comes in, we name it. That's passivity, I don't want it in my life. That's self-pity, I don't want it in my life. That's me not taking personal responsibility, I don't want it in my life. That's me being overly controlling, I don't want that in my life. That's all confession is, it's a metanoia, it's a moment, a revelation Metanoia just did the Greek for change of mindset, where we were thinking one thing about how we did that relationship or pursued that work or did that, and we have a light bulb moment that says that's the way to do it. It's light, it's simple, it's easy, we just name it before one another. It's a beautiful encouragement. Um, Esther talked about this, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. It doesn't stop there. That you may be healed, that you may be restored to who God's created you to be. That's the only reason sin comes into it. It's not about who we're not, it's about who we are. It's not about where we're failing, it's about being set up for success. And there are two or three or four people who are just, you're deep with, it's safe, it's trustworthy, you can just say, do you know what, that's in my life, that's in my thinking, and I don't want it there anymore. I'd say there are three keys to healthy forms. We need a balance between the organic and the organised. People talk about the difference between arranged marriage and Western marriage, um, passion and permanence. So we need, we need to be, we are going to meet regularly. It's, it's just a thing we're going to do. We're going to prioritise it in our diary in the way we can, to the extent we can, with our age and stage and whatever else is going on in our life. But there's an organisational, intentional aspect to it. It's not just going to happen. At the same time, it needs to be organic. This is a place where you're, we're bringing deep things to. It needs to be safe. It, it, in the cases I've said of Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had a massive backstory. They all grew up together as brothers, and then they worked together. So when they start following Jesus together, you know, there's a lot of knowledge about one another that's already there. He worked with their organic networks, and he often does that with us too. Now, some of you are like, oh, I want this, but I'm new to hope, I don't know anyone. Firstly, I'd say COVID forges, crisis forge, a deeper level of community if we take that moment. We've all collectively, even if we don't know each other, have been through something together which will mark us. So it's a, it's a good opportunity to start meeting with people. Secondly, we know we're probably more connected than we think. We live in the same region. We speak the same language on the whole. So on the whole, we may have more shared than we think. There is more organic connection than we think. And thirdly, God can just make it happen even if we don't have a backstory. We've just moved here. COVID's passed us by and we literally just want to get into it for. Don't worry about it. But as much as you can, our culture here at Hope is not to organise it centrally, but for you to go to God, who are the people already in my life, who I can go deeper with. Because that's the way natural growth works. Like I said, about sowing and reaping. And that's the way fruit works. It's a natural tree with roots of love that go down a long way and produce fruit. So as much as possible, get the balance of the organic and the organised in who you meet with and how you meet. Secondly, champion one another. I've mentioned this on why we're doing it for original design. This is not a place for victimhood or blame of anyone else or self-pity. We don't come going, oh, that person really annoys me. Or I just feel like they're, they're too powerful and I have no power. 
We don't come with any of that. We are champions. We use that word champion because this is about spiritual fitness. When Jesus cried his last cry on the cross, and I don't want to be trite about this, but I find it mind-blowing, that cry was not the cry. That is not the last breath of someone being crucified through essentially dying through suffocation, which is how you die through that kind of execution. It was a volitional, loud cry of a victor. It is finished. Even at his worst agony, he was never a victim. Jesus was always self-defining as a victor. I am done what I came to do. I've resolved the human condition. It has been crucified with me. And now I am raising up a new restored humanity. It is finished. It was the cry of a victor. That's not to say we don't suffer and are victims in our childhood or under oppressive regimes. That's different. And God tells us to fight for that situation. And those people, what I'm saying is he didn't have a spirit of victimization and self-pity, even at his most broken, at his mo- at the most traumatic and acutest suffering in his life. Why? Because self-pity never delivers, never delivers life, never restores us and never heals us. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says you're full of greed and self-pity, self-indulgence, the religious elite at the time. It just doesn't help us. Spiritual fitness gives hope not only for this life, Paul says, but for the life to come because it makes us more Christ-likeness. It's self-pity gives momentary comfort but delivers disempowerment. Spiritual fitness, the discomfort of facing the things in ourselves which are not who we are and it's hard to face and it's humbling and vulnerable. Spiritual fitness is uncomfortable but it delivers an empowered follower of Jesus. It's actually exhilarating. I can honestly say after walking this walk for a very long time, of bringing my stuff into the light with people I know and trust and love, it is the best, happiest, lightest, most free way to live. It's an amazing feeling to know that you you are safe with people. They know the worst things about you and still love you, but more than that, you've been shaped away from those things and they don't even define you anymore. It's incredible. So that's the point where sin bubbles up, we name it and we deal with it. So... The third thing I'd say is we come and we take personal responsibility. So the culture we're creating, we do it through being organic and organized. We champion one another. But our role with the others in our group is not for us to point out the things that are stopping them getting their original design. That's their responsibility. We all take personal responsibility to see what's bubbling up for us. We hear God and the people around us ask intelligent, wise, kind questions that draw out the revelation because the person that needs revelation is the person leading their own life. I don't need someone else's revelation about what I'm like. I actually need to see it for myself because with the revelation comes the grace to change. So what we're doing is facilitating revelation for ourselves. So I come with person, I take full personal responsibility. I'm coming here to be changed and transformed by the renewing of my mind. But I am not coming here to make sure other people change. That is not in my radar. I take a posture of non-judgment. I listen to God and listen to them. And if God chooses to speak to me or through me or give me a question or a a kind of insight or something, I may bring it, I may not. That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to come with my own stuff, my own desires, the things I need to deal with and bring them to the table and get them changed. And I'm just going to share a couple of examples now um, from a group that I meet with, Susie and Joe, regularly. 
which is really, really helpful. And I give, I think gives why this, this is so powerful and deals with the nitty gritty that you just can't get in the bigger groups, but you never see as clearly when you're on your own. So Susie challenged me to be honest. And I find honesty difficult for three reasons. Firstly, I'm aware of words of life, and this is a boundary thing we're going to put in to our culture here at Hope. I used to be able to say anything about anyone, but when I realised the power of my words and that they, they, they are powerful to build or destroy, to create or, or kill, to heal or wound, I now am very reticent to share words about someone else that is in any way negative and particularly behind their back. I was blown away by this. I was completely converted. We'd met a community of people that only spoke words of life to and about people unless there were very specific situations where they had to pick up and stuff and then they'd always do it personally, face-to-face. I had never come across this. For me, it was all about just externally processing and getting through my stuff and who cares who I talked about and what I said and who I said it to. So since then, uh, God's been working a great deal of discipline on my words and so I don't want, and some of our pain and the things we process, take that example of the very messy, politically, ideologically divisive extended community we're called to be a part of. I don't want my words to sow in division because the people I'm talking to, in my case, Joe and Susie, may have, may not know those people, but they may have relationship with them. If they don't even know them, it may sow seeds of division about people like them. So my words, I have to be incredibly careful what I share if my buttons are being pressed within a community, but if there's relational pain. So that is our boundary, we're going to say at Hope. We come with personal responsibility. We don't necessarily need to name other people. If we do, we do it saying, look, please fight for me. I don't want this to be about the other person. I want to bless them. I'm for them. I'm for their restoration. But this is what's coming up in me. If there's a big issue of actually they've sinned against us and there's an issue of forgiveness, of course, we need to articulate that. But even we can do that with honour. And as if they're in the room, we would say it as if they're in the room. And so that's what I'm going to say. When we process our stuff in this very safe place with this three and this four, we do it with words of life, both to and about people. We take personal responsibility for our own stuff, but we don't blame anything on anyone else or blame God. We, we just name it. So if there's an issue like disappointment, we just name it. Don't try and fix it or organise it but just name it. So the first reason was words of life. Second reason is I am absolutely framed my life through praise and thanksgiving. About 20, 25 years, I can honestly say if I hadn't, I'd be dead in a ditch somewhere. For me, that is the framing reference of how we do life because we see our world, we see the blessings, we see what God's given us clearly through praise and thanksgiving and we even break through into what God has for us. So the second reason I struggle with knowing how to be honest in those groups is I don't want to dishonour that framing reference of praise and thanksgiving. That God is good. He's always for us. He's always got a plan. However hard it feels, or in the sowing and reaping analogy earlier, however alien it feels. So again, we, we name, we're honest, but within the context of praise and thanksgiving, we have a heart which knows God's goodness knows he's covering, knows he's for us, knows he pursues us, and there's nothing that's impossible for him. I think those are two key building blocks to doing this well and healthily, getting, if you like, sorry about this analogy, but a good hygienic sewage system as we deal with our sin, because we can die if our sewage system isn't in place properly, of toxic diseases. 
But the third reason is it's hard, isn't it, to be honest and be vulnerable. And so I'm going on a deeper journey of, of, of really trying to say, okay, given that I only speak words of life, or I intend to, given that I frame everything with praise and thanksgiving, there is still this pain or this disappointment or this pattern in my life, which is not me, and I'm going to bring it to the table. And that's, I think, what Susie was inviting me into. And I'm so grateful because now I come with an even sharper intentionality than I have in the past. I've, I come with a, with a God, I am expecting transformation from, for me from this moment, for me having the, the, the privilege of people that I can just bring stuff into the light to. I'm expecting to know that I'm going to grow in my original design from this moment. So I'm going to give you an example of uh, two things that I shared, which really just really helped me. And I haven't done, this is literally hot off the press, how I'm doing fours now, like I've never done this in my life. So I have a history of disordered eating, which anyone who knows me knows, but particularly um, Susie and Joe know. And so as a result of that, fasting is very complex for me. I have had history of, of fasting, and but it's it's kind of got that spiritual bulimia binge purge thing. So it's it's not healthy. And I felt a number of years ago, God say, almost eat three meals a day. That's your fasted lifestyle. And I've kicked and screamed against it, made peace with it, and just had a long wrestling match with it. But it, it essentially, especially as a role model in the home, as a parent, wanting to eat, appropriately with my children I can see that there's just real wisdom in life and that and goodness and generosity it's actually incredibly generous half the world only can access two meals a day so to have three meals a day and then stop is a very honoring dignifying abundant way to speak and so I eat and so I've been very grateful for that but there was such a movement in April of prayer for peace in the city 54 churches joining in with Silas and Annie's invitation to pray all the way from Orthodox to kind of very low church Pentecostal, all coming together. And a few people were kind of doing some fasting of sugar and things like that. And I just thought, maybe God has something for me in this more than having a posture of faith and agreement, which is kind of my prayer posture is I just agree for the peace in the city. Is there anything more? And I assumed it would be caffeine or sugar because, you know, in some ways they, they don't make us more healthy <laughs> and tend to be our places of addiction. Um, but he immediately, I immediately heard vegetables, Daniel fast. It was totally like a curveball, which always to me speaks, maybe God speaking, and not in my radar at all, and, and certainly not given my history. So I looked it up and I looked what it meant. It was like, basically, it's, it's fruit and vegetables and, and, and unrefined things. No dairy, no meat, no um, caffeine, sugar, alcohol, anything like that. In fact, for periods of life, it's incredibly healthy, as as Daniel himself demonstrated in the Bible. But for the first time in my life, so pre when I was really independent, I wouldn't have even spoken to Chris about this probably a long time ago and probably would have done actually, because when you're in relationship, whoever you're living with, when you're in community, what you eat matters. You can't be radically individualistic and build community, especially when with food, I had to crucify that aspect of me if I wanted to build healthy community in the home. But so I probably would have processed it with Chris in the past and certainly would do now. But I never would have occurred to me to take it to Susie and Joe. But I thought, actually, this is so boring for Chris. Like, how boring is it when we continually tell the person closest to us of our disordered lives? It's like, it's too much. Like, just have a laugh sometimes. And that's what I love about the three and four, getting outside if we're married, getting outside the intensity of that relationship. And so I actually thought, do you know what? I'm going to genuinely submit it there. And this is hard for me because I want to do it. Like when the penny drops, I was like, I want to do this. But I don't think I hear clearly in this area because of my history. 
I'm self-aware enough to know that I might not be right about this. God might not have said that to me. It might be me sort of spiritually doing something strange and actually it's just a kind of cover for some sort of form of weird weight loss. So I thought I'll genuinely submit it to them. They And, and if they but either have a check in their spirit, I won't do it, which is really hard. But I'm just like, I'm not going to do it because I don't have the confidence this is from God just from hearing myself. We hear together as a community. And on these kind of issues, we hear with those who walk with us and know us. If they both say yes, I will then talk it through with Chris. If he has a check, I still won't do it. But if he's okay with it, and that, therefore I feel like I've got this covering, this agreement, God has said it, I will do it. And as it happened, actually, both Joe and Susie said, yeah, that's it's right. I get where you're coming from, but go for it. And then I brought it to Chris and he said, yeah, that sounds great. And then I did it. And it was brilliant because I'm now in a home. I'm eating with, with children. I'm role modeling something very different to disordered eating covered by some sort of spirituality, which is horrendous. It's hypocrisy and it is not building a kingdom. What I modelled was there are periods in our life, sometimes where we abstain, sometimes food, for a greater vision. And in this case, it's the peace and prosperity of this city. I modelled it. It had a beginning and end. It had accountability cover. And then I stopped when it, when it was right to end at the end of April. And it was brilliant. It was so rich. I felt like I was fulfilling part of my original design, which is actually to be an intercessor and to cry out to God for change. And I was doing it in a way that was whole, that was in the light, that wasn't weird. And now I'm not doing it anymore. So that's a brilliant example of how we, it's not just about turning up and saying things are wrong, but actually sharing our lives with people we walk with, getting their take on things. Is this, does this sit right? Of course, we don't have to do this about where we go on holiday or this or that or the other. But I think we probably have to bring it a bit more than we think we do on these kinds of things that constitute habits. And I think this is where the brilliance of the three and four comes in, because they nail our micro habits. And it's our micro habits that form our habits, which form our lifestyles, which essentially form who we are. So yesterday, I went with the intentionality, I'm going to hear from God, I'm going to be changed and transformed by the renewal of my mind. I'm also going to be a listener and facilitate a safe place if the others want to hear from God themselves. That's not my responsibility, but I'm going to be there. I got in the car with Susie to drive to Joe. Already, I'd been scrolling on the news while waiting for her, not just sitting around looking at nature. Already, God started to speak to me about the micro-habit of excess scrolling in those downtimes as she was starting to talk about cortisol and and we need those downtimes of not scrolling on our phone because that's actually, even if it's something like the news or just, it's not innocuous, nothing's innocuous, is it? Or apparently innocent, everything's human. But, you know, these things lower our cortisol just to sit there, not get our phone out, a few minutes waiting for Susie, waiting for the car, just to look around, be in nature, or close my eyes and think. Already, I wasn't even there, but he was speaking to me about micro habits. So I got there, and some of the things I was like, I think he wants to deal with consumption, the micro habits of consumption, whether it's what I read on my phone or what I eat, for example. And so I came away, and yesterday evening, I think I just scroll too much on my phone. I very rarely have any downtime because our time is really a sign. It's like building blocks to build the kingdom. It's very rare. Even our rest time is quite kind of in sense like we know in advance that we're resting together, if you see what I mean. So this is, I was on my own, which is very rare, and I was scrolling. And I was like, God's already told me this morning to pay attention to my micro habits. Is this giving life? And at the end of it, I woke up today and I was like, no, it's not giving life. But I wouldn't have, 
I don't think I would have had the clarity or sharpness to see it if I hadn't had the intentionality of going into a situation, being aware of causes or levels, being aware God was going to speak to me through my friends, and that I needed to deal with the micro habits which produce overconsumption in order to have micro habits which feed on God. So a repentance comes out of that. But I don't think we get that on our own, and I don't think we get that with 12, 70 people who we can't process the minutiae of it with. So those are great, really recent examples in the last week, the last month, where I've become more of who I'm designed to be by those three things. Organic and organised. We, we, we have friendships that go back a long way, but we've also said we're going to do this. Secondly, championing one another, being prepared for the discomfort that produces spiritual fitness. And thirdly, taking full personal responsibility for my own restoration not expecting anyone else to deliver it to me and certainly not wanting to be the one that delivers it to other people. So those are the building blocks of kingdom community. They have their strengths, they have their weaknesses and we want everyone to move into the reason why we do the personal, me and Jesus, Jesus and God, he he modelled that. Secondly, the threes, the fours, which I've gone into more depth about, the strength is we can go deep there. But we can't stay there because that becomes exclusive. We need to also be part of something bigger than ourselves that's messy, that has people that are different from us, whose lives we would never cross paths with because that does something for us. It forms a new humanity in us. And then we need the public. We need the big reach. We need to be part of the global story of what God's doing in the world and he's doing through us. So let's all press in to what God has for us in those four spheres, the personal, the private, the social, and the public, and particularly press into the people he wants us to walk with in terms of those threes and fours that can really forge a Christ-likeness in us as we pay attention to those micro-habits in our lives. Thank you, Alice, so much for that brilliant teaching, so much richness in that message from this part two, but also from, from part one. And I want to encourage you that what we're building here at Hope is uh, is a slow and a steady quality build. We're not looking to sort of go massive numerically. We're look, we're, our priority is depth. We're looking to be a, a community of people who whose roots go deep into the, the life and the, and the love and power and presence of Jesus. And with the expectation that as we do that, um, uh, that our lives will be fruitful in all sorts of different ways. And that fruit looks different at different times. But, th- th- but this is what we're about. So I'm, I'm, all that to say, really, we're not in a rush. Uh, different people will be in a different place in terms of community. Alice shared some of her experience just in recent weeks of um, taking a different step, a, 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 a new step in terms of how she shared with her within her four. And uh, and so for you know others of us, there'll be this, this will be uh, there'll be some completely new concepts in here, and and, and others will be you know have done this for many years. So, uh, yeah, no pressure. Uh, the, the encouragement is just to stay in there, keep digging in, and let's, we're just so grateful, um, for this wonderful church community and, uh, aware that some of you haven't even met yet, um, in person, uh, but it's just, it, we're so grateful to be, to be part of, uh, of this church and, and to walk with you. So, Lord, we pray you lead us on. We recognize that we're your body of Christ here on earth and we want to grow into your likeness. Lead us. Amen.